Make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. AdTech Connect, your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Welcome to AdTech Connect. This is Susan Bratton, your host for the show, and this show this week is themed Web 2.0. We have two fantastic guests who know a lot about this subject. First up is John Battelle, the founder and CEO of Federated Media, has a laundry list of fabulous things he's accomplished, which we'll get into in a minute, joined by Roy D'Souza, the CEO and co-founder of a company called Zedo Incorporated. So let's get on with John. Hey, John. How are you doing, Susan? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, sure. Before we get into the dissection of Web 2.0, I'd love to just let our listeners know about Federated Media and what you're doing there, because that's really, I think, your latest venture. I'm not sure between your Web 2.0 show, Federated Media, your book, <laughs> uh, but we'll get to all those things. Let's talk about Federated Media. Well, I'm standing in the FM offices, so that must be what I'm doing right now. Good. Um, Federated is an idea I've had for a couple of years, which I'm very pleased to, to be able to actually execute now that the book uh, is finished. Um, Federated, the basic idea is to sort of mash up the business models of a music label and a uh, talent agency and throw in a little bit of book publishing and, and advertising uh, rep agency. And uh, at the end of the day, what we've done is signed scores of very high-quality blog authors and uh, independent websites um, to a network, to our, our, I guess you could say, to our label, FM. And we represent them in business development deals and um, to marketers and make it easy for marketers to advertise in this unique medium, which is blogging and Web 2.0 uh, websites. Um, and we split the revenues with the, um, with the authors and I think bring a lot of value uh, to, their, to their inventory by selling it at what we think it's worth as opposed to what oftentimes blind networks will sell, like AdSense or, or others, will sell it uh, really without understanding it. We try to sell it uh, in a way that uh, connects the marketer to the author and helps them have a conversation where the audience is involved as well, which I think is really what online marketing is all about. So you have a, a premium ad representation network for the blogging community. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. And so some of your some of the blogs that you represent, some of the most well known are Boing Boing, Dig, right. Giga Ohm, our good friend Ohm Malik, TechCrunch, Tech Dirt, mostly technology vertical, although you have a couple of others that are outliers, is that right? Well we're building actually uh, the federations. We're called Federated Media and so we've got yeah. four now actually. Okay. We have uh, more than sixty sites and we did build our first one in technology and many of the well known names in the technology blogging space are in there. Um but we have built an entertainment and media federation, which is, uh, you know, uh, everything from, you know, focused business-to-business stuff like Lost Remote, which is for uh, television executives, um, to PVR Blog, which focuses on PVRs, as you know, um, to uh, FARC.com, which is a sort of news and humor site, which is huge. It's 30 million page views a month. Um, and we are building out a parenting web lo- um, federation with um, parenting sites. We have about 12 now. Um, and our anchors are um, uh, um, Deuce.com, yep. 
and oh, uh, Paper Napkin and Parent Hacks and a bunch of others, dad-centric. Um, and, so, uh, and then we have a third one, which we're calling um, Momentum. And this is where we're putting uh, a number of sites that are, that are cropping up that are, um, uh, they either drive momentum across the web, like dig.com, um, or are sites that identify momentum, like uh, TailRank or Reddit where they, you know, the hottest stories of what's being watched now, what's being linked to. Um, we just added, for example, Popurls, P-O-P-U-R-L-S, which is sort of a meta-meta website of uh, what's popular on the web right now. Um, so those four federations we have built out and have significant critical mass. Each of them has more than 10 million page views a month, and each of them has, you know, at least 2 to 3 million uniques. Um, and we are in the process of building out an auto-federation um, of enthusiast uh, websites, people people who are really, you know, into cars, um, and uh, health. So uh, sort of each category you can see, what I noticed was people are blogging about everything they care about. And among the millions of people that blog about any particular category, there are going to be some unique voices that really um, rise to the top. And they rise to the top because people vote with their eyes, right? They, They read them or they don't. And that's what we look for is to find those great sites. And do you have a talent scout that's always looking for these new categories? Or we have two. To <laughs> we have a we have a West Coast and an East Coast uh, AR. Uh, you know, like a, like in the old record days, we have an AR talent scout. Yes, we do, in fact. And um, we we're very serious about finding these people and um, and helping them. You know, uh, make a living from what they're good at. So if you gave some, you said that they have to have at least, I think it's 10,000 page views a month to be in your federation. Is that right? We don't really have a page view limit, but there is okay. a certain economic reality, um, at okay. least, you know, the way we're, we're learning a lot. I mean, we're only six months into doing this. And one of the things we've learned is that, you know, it's, there's not just one model that fits all. We have one sort of focused model, which is CPM-based advertising, right? But we're starting to sell very focused sponsorships. Um, and we're starting to see a demand for video advertising and lots of other things. And so um, we don't really have a, a set limit. We have sites that are very small, um, and we have sites that are extremely large. Um, and each site has its own um, unique you know, uh, level of support. And, and so that's the thing that I like about this business is we can figure out ways for marketers and audiences and authors to connect for, that, that's endemic to each site. It is not a one-size-fits-all world. Um, and, and so I don't intend to scale this from 60 or 70 sites where we are now to 70,000 sites, which is where you see the advertising.coms and the blue lithiums and all these others going. Um, I'm going to keep it small because I think with small, uh, you can get to the human relationship piece of it and you can start to really um, figure out what's working and how uh, advertisers can get into really sort of significant, more sponsorship-like relationships with these sites. So you're doing some custom sponsorships, but you've also recently launched a self-serve property where smaller advertisers can come in and pick their sites and post their ads. Is that right? Right. Yeah, it's fully automated, and all the inventory that's available, uh, all the time frames, all the demographics, um, it's all there, uh, and you can come in and, and sort of shop for, you know, I want to put my ad on, you know, sites that have women you know, 19 to 39, and I want it to run at this time period for this long, and how much is it going to cost me? How much um, would that cost? Um, well, it depends on how many impressions you want to buy, of course. I know, but, but the average CPMs, CPMs are ranging between 7 and $15. Okay. 
mm-hmm. depending on the units, um, you know, the kinds of units. If you want small units, it'll be a little less. If you want large units, it'll be more. Um, the platform is really interesting. I and mean, the reason that we, we started is because we have a lot of endemic advertisers who want to buy 100 bucks on Boing Boing or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, you know, to sure. scale that yeah. if, if, you know, between the GMs of the world who want to spend lots and lots of money and someone who just wants to sell, you know, their handmade wallet, right? Right. Um, and so we're learning a lot of things. One of the things is we're building a text link um, uh, capability because a lot of people want to be on the site 100% of the time. But obviously, if you were to buy a 100% share of voice, uh, you know, it would be very expensive on big sites like Boing Boing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing little text link uh, units now. And, uh, and we're learning so many things, and, and the platform is teaching us. And, uh, of course, the big guys, you know, the big media planners and, uh, you know, with big agencies, they can use our platform just um, to do kind of iterative what-if planning. You know, I'm wondering how much inventory could I get during this period of time and what's the general price. And, of course, then they call us and uh, argue about price with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and how does Lovisa Tackleberry handle those arguments? You've created a, a virtual ad executive to go along with your self-serve ad network. And what yeah, happens we did. when Lovisa has One of our authors is, um, uh, is, um, was the official blogger of, of Second Life, which is a, a very popular um, uh, program where people have a second life, on a virtual second life, uh, Wagner James Au. And when he became one of our authors uh, in FM, um, we thought it would be fun to open a virtual office in Second Life. One of the interesting things about Second Life is that it has its own economy, and people use, you know, uh, the Linden Dollars, which is the name of the company that owns Second Life. Um, and we thought, well, you know, we got to be everywhere where there might be commerce. <laughs> so we opened an office on LaVisa, who does work for us in our sales force, uh, adopted a new name and, and staffs that office. And so uh, LaVisa is now accepting Linden Dollars for, for TextLink advertising. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> now, TextLinks are not exactly the most innovative ad format in the universe. They're certainly one of the workhorse of the industry. Where yeah. do you see in the blogosphere um, marketers innovating in ad formats? Do you see anything new coming out? Oh, absolutely. We're seeing new stuff almost every week. It's really exciting. Um, one of the campaigns that just broke with us, and I know that they're spending money elsewhere, so it's not like it's just FM, but I, you know, I'm just thrilled to see it happening, is a DICE campaign. Um, it's called the Rant Banner. DICE is a jobs board. Okay. And what they've done is, and this is through Modem, their agency, um, they've created a banner that um, <clears throat> you can literally, it says, you know, if you hate your job, tell us about it, and you can type into the banner what you hate about it, about your job, and then what happens is the banner becomes your words. Right, and so the advertisement—it's literally user-generated content, which is a big theme of Web 2.0, right? Architecture, participation, harnessing collective intelligence—all that great stuff. Your your audience becomes part of your marketing, right? And that conversational approach to marketing, I think, is extremely important um, in context. And so once you put in your rant, the person who put it in sees that as the rant banner. And that's so they feel like now they're connected to and part of. And so if they have their choice, if they're looking for a job between Dice and any other competitors, my guess is they're going to feel better about Dice because Dice gave them a chance to interact with something they cared about, which is how they feel about their job. 
I think that's a very innovative thing. We've seen similar things from Snap.com, which launched um, uh, using our uh, network. We've seen really innovative things from Lenovo and Microsoft. Microsoft changed the creative on four of our sites and actually called out to the audience saying, hey, search blog readers or hey, um, Wi-Fi net readers, and, 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 and actually acknowledged that it knew where it was and connected what Microsoft can do to why people are reading these blogs. And I think that's a big deal um, to actually acknowledge and understand the context in which people are participating in blogs because blogs are much more about the conversation than they are about um, sort of the one-way model of publishing in the past. Absolutely. Engaged advertising. Exactly. Well, let's uh, let's get to a little bit about Web 2.0, and then I want to finish off with some of the other things you're doing, your your articles in Business 2.0, etc. Sure. Um, the Web 2.0 you talked about, you were listing some of the things. So, you know, what is Web 2.0? It's it's a certain kind of architecture. It's a type of participation. It's collective intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a checklist that exists somewhere? Oh, uh, yeah, actually, there is. Have you ha 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 ha? Have you seen the official Web 2.0 certifier website? <laughs> yeah. What I love about Web 2.0 is that, you know, you can talk about it quite seriously, but you also, it doesn't take itself very seriously at all. There's a lot of taking the piss out of Web 2.0, and I'm very pleased that there is, because if we were taking ourselves too seriously, we might find ourselves back in 1999, and none of us want to be there. In this particular site, you put in your URL, and uh, then you put in your, your tags, and then you check to see which of these things that you have on your site. So you can know whether or not you can have a web two point, uh, officially certified Web 2.0 compliant site. Right. Now, this is by our friends at AdBright. They created this on a lark because they're a bunch of goofs, and we love them. Right. So if you have, for example, big fonts, oversized input fields, a silly or misspelled name, you're using Ajax, you have something you share, your website consists of bright colors or pink. Very specifically, if you use pink, that's a very Web 2.0 color. <laughs> Rounded corners, use of Google Maps, the founder has a blog, and then all of the other things like tagging and wikis and RSS. So every checkbox you check off creates a higher percentage of whether your website is uh, potential uh, Web 2.0 official certification. <laughs> exactly. And I want to give the domain name because um, – it's a funny one. It's uh, certifier.com, C-E-R-T-I-F-Y, and then the letter R.com. Right. So if you want to check on your own website as a listener, you can do that. <laughs> You'll have to take the test. Good for AdBright, huh? Yeah, I, I agree. Good for Pud or Philip, uh, the, the guy Philip behind Catholic, AdBright. Exactly. Um, I, I, um, you know, when Tim and I sat down to plan out our first conference, it was the fall of 2003, and Web 2.0 was not an idea that anyone was really kicking around. Um, and what we, uh, you know, had independently uh, noticed and then came together to uh, uh, to do was that there were a number of things that were quite, you know, remarkably consistent uh, amongst the new companies we saw springing up, uh, number one. And number two, the old companies that had made it through the nuclear winter, you know. Um, and the ones that had made it through the nuclear winter, like Amazon and uh, eBay and, and Google, um, and Yahoo all shared certain characteristics um, and all had become platforms. Uh, They had become actually ecologies where other people were building businesses on top of their ecologies. Um, You know, with Google AdSense and and eBay's web services and affiliate business and and Amazon's affiliate business and its recommendation systems and stuff like that. 
And we, we sort of started to theorize that, that perhaps there were some characteristics of how businesses were using the web now that were consistent enough to be given a name, and that's what, where Web 2.0 came from. Uh, and uh, I can't take credit for the name other than encouraging Tim to use it. It came out of a, uh, one of the people that work with Tim. Um, but immediately it felt right. And it also allowed us to say Web 1.0 is a way of sort of, you know, waving our hand uh, in a backward fashion to, <laughs> to the late 1990s. <laughs> exactly. And so for Web 2.0, uh, you have a conference coming up. It is actually it, it overlaps exactly with our AdTech New York event. So you're doing Doesn't it at really, exactly. Yeah, November 6th through 8th. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're no, 7th through nine, so there is one day. Because I, e- I emailed Mary Meeker to see if she'd come speak, and you've already confirmed her as a speaker. <laughs> we have. Well, <laughs> we do have the 9th, so maybe we can figure out a way to, can we to share Mary? the dots. <laughs> I'd like to share her. <laughs> so, I'm sorry uh, your, about that. Yours is actually in San Francisco at the Sheraton Palace. That's where we used to have ad tech till we busted out of that place. That's right. And uh, you've got some great, great uh, luminaries. And some of the things you're going to be talking about are not only what is Web 2.0, but what is Web 3.0. And I'd yeah. love your opinion about what you think that is. Well, I think every leap forward uh, in, you know, in certainly I've been covering technology for over 20 years, which sort of terrifies me. But every time you notice a, a significant leap forward, it has something to do with how masses of people interact with, with technology. And I think the 1.0 to 2.0 leap had a lot to do with search. Um, and I would think that because I wrote a book about it, but um, I think um, we, we got to the point where we could find stuff online and start to expect that online would deliver it to, to us in ways that were useful. That was a big shift because online was not very useful from 95 to 99. Um, and uh, now a lot of people, almost, you know, a majority of the Western world considers online sort of, you know, as important, if not more important than any other medium in their life. That's a big deal. It's a big shift. So where we go from here, I think, is, is, is an interesting question. And, you know, as we start to presumptively assume that our, the, our, you know, our entire life is online, um, we're going to have to bring a lot of our, you know, legal and social uh, expectations along with us, and we are nowhere there. I think a lot of Web 3.0 is going to be about understanding the implications of living digitally. And we're starting to see, you know, uh, some harbingers of that with, you know, the DOJ, for example, um, subpoenaing the uh, search indexes and queries of all the major search companies, which happened right. uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and so these are very big, interesting policy questions, and we're going we're gonna to hit a few of them at the conference. Uh, I think hopefully just kind of get people thinking. Um, and then what can be done online once you have ubiquitous multi-screen access with your information living in a place where it's always available? That's a really interesting business question when you can get to, you know, if you live online and you can get to it on your cell phone, in your car, you know, um, while strolling the aisles of the grocery store, um, there are a lot of amazing applications to be built that um, we really haven't even considered yet. And so I think we're still, and I guess that's the beauty of this industry and why we're all in it in the early phases of what's possible here. Um, going back to one of the things you just said about 3.0, you said the implications of living digitally. You said there were two big issues surfacing. One was privacy. And what was the other one? Did I say two? Yeah, you, did, you kind of did. It was like well, I think um, it was the social and cultural. And, I mean, the, the, huh? pri- the, the, the privacy issue, I think, is, um, is, is huge, um, not only because... Um, you know, we need to understand whether or not we have the right, uh, I guess, regulatory framework for protecting ourselves from our own government, but also for um, protecting, you know, for giving us, empowering us as consumers to use this information in ways uh, that we 
can leverage. It's astonishing how much information there is about our habits and our aggregate habits as consumers that we don't have access to, but that industry does. And applications that flip that, uh, I just wrote about one called Fair, uh, Faircast, uh, a couple of days ago, which takes all this data about airline pricing and makes it available to you so you can see when airlines historically have risen or have raised or dropped their prices on particular flight segments. And I said to my readers, hey, if you want a private an invite to this private beta, private beta, please email me. And I got 300 responses in one day. And wow. people really want the power of information, but the other, you know, it cuts both ways. So the, that's a big, a big deal, the privacy deal. Now, I think what I meant by the second thing was is beyond the policy issues, there's the opportunity in the business sense, which is that there are huge opportunities to take advantage of the fact that most people are now online um, and taking advantage of that aggregate data and coming up with ways of delivering new applications that are powerful and efficient and productive and, you know, useful. Yeah, um, two things. One, if our listeners would like to have the beta for Faircast, how do they get a chance to do that? Um, just go to my site and search for Faircast, um, uh, and uh, they can. And there's a. If they read the post, they'll see where they can sign up. And it's when you very say cool. go to your go to your site, are you talking about searchblog.com? Search or are you talking yeah. about federated Battelmedia.com. Yeah. Say, say it again. Battelmedia.com. At Battelmedia. So let's spell that: B A T T E L L E. M-E-D-I-A dot That's it. That's Got it. it. Good. And um, one of the so, – so this is interesting, the privacy and the persona management, right, online right. persona management. I had a guest on AdTech Connect a couple of weeks ago, Cliff Kurtzman. He's uh, he one of the entities that he manages is something called My City Rocks, and it's an, an online and real-life um, uh, property that teaches youth how to protect – their privacy online. He actually has this little um, process where he teaches kids how to create personas online, how to protect their privacy, and down to letting them order business cards that have their MySpace URL, their their screen name, um, a favorite quote, you know, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. but none of their private information. So he's actually on a mission to go all over the country, all over the world, really. He has these things in Shanghai and Beijing and all over the world Interesting. to teach youth how to um, give away business cards that are going to keep their privacy and how to set up their privacy, how to set up their, their private personas online. Uh, if you think about social networking, I think we are, you know, we've seen social networking going from 1.0 to 2.0 already, which is my MySpace, Friendster. Friendster was kind of 1.0 uh, in a way, um, and uh, MySpace, Facebook, and these others have sort of migrated to you know a full expression of what's possible in a 2.0 world. A 3.0 world is where you can start to do identity management and start to understand who's looking at your profile and what you're willing to show to them and set those settings automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you, the nuance of how people interact with each other based on what they know about each other and their past relations, I mean, it, it is extraordinarily complex. It's 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 so hardwired in who we are as human beings. It's such a um, a massive um, opportunity if you can get it right, and it's such a massive disaster if you don't. You know, um, and so I, I've seen a few sort of uh, third generation social networks that are still in um, development, which understand this issue and are starting to address it. And that sounds like a similar thing where you're giving the control back to the person whose identity it is. And identity on the internet is a very big issue. It can get, it can, it can bore the pants off of you if you start to think about it technologically. But when you think about it socially, um, it's extremely, extremely important. And who are some of these third generation social networks? 
Well, the ones I'm referring to, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say yet. <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> They haven't that. come out of alpha. Um, but uh, check my site, because I, I, as soon as I'm allowed to talk about them, I will. All right, good. Um, now, we had talked about some you know, massive opportunity. There are two things that come to mind when I hear that and I think about you. One is... I'd like to talk to you about uh, IPO heat and whether you think there's, I mean, there's, to me, there are more new companies occurring today than there were in Web 1.0. Oh, it just yeah. seems like there's this mass explosion. So I'd love to talk to you about whether you think there's going to be another opportunity for some great IPOs, and mm-hmm. or we could talk about China. Oh. I know. How do you choose? <laughs> well, we could talk about IPOs in China. Cause, we could. That's absolutely right. Think, we could if, get to it, you, you want to see phone. where the where the net IPOs are, you know, and where the action is that feels yep. like it was 1999, China is a good place to go. Um, but no, I, 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 you know, if you look at the IPO pipeline, it's very dry right now. There aren't a lot of companies that are in it, um, and I think that's fundamentally a healthy thing. Um, I wrote a, uh, an op-ed for the New York Times er- early this year, which argued that we were not in a new bubble. And one of the main reasons was is that company creation is very inexpensive, which allows tons, as you noted, tons of companies to be created. But it also allows tons of companies to fail. And when a company fails after raising $50,000, no one cares. I mean, except the poor guy whose $50,000 got wasted, right? But we're Mom not talking about $50 million in an IPO and then flaming out spectacularly, right? Yeah. And so you see a lot of companies being created, um, and actually, if they get if they raise capital, maybe they raise half a million or even a couple million dollars, and they get it wrong the first time. Why they can go try again? I mean, I've seen business models change on some of my friends' companies two or three times in in, in you know as many years, if not quicker. Um, and that is essentially really. Uh, healthy. Um, so we've got a very healthy economy of company creation of new ideas that are being tried out of iteration. And, you know, as with Web 1.0, one rule will not change, which is there's only so much room for success. Um, but there is more, you know, for each market segment, but there is more opportunity um, and there's more chance, there's more runway to try new things and see what works and see what doesn't and experiment and keep going. The IPO market, I think, has really gotten to the point where people are like, look, you've got to actually prove you can execute before you can get out there into the market. And if you've got a concept play that needs the money just to prove your concept through, you know, marketing or something like that, why we're not sure we're going to like that so much. And I think the response to the Vonage IPO is a very good example of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. But two to three years from now, I certainly could imagine, you know, not a huge wave, but half a dozen or a dozen companies that were started in the last couple of years, which have had a year or two of profitability and are showing healthy revenue growth that may want to go to the public markets, that have sort of gotten past the, I'm going to get bought by Yahoo or Google stage, right? Yeah. Um, And so... You know, I don't predict that it's going to go away, but I also don't think we're going to see the speculative, you know, uh, please fund my business model idea of the IPOs of the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And so it does seem to me that every everyone who's starting businesses now, and, and it's a vast number happening, especially in the Silicon Valley as always, um, a lot of them are thinking about being acquired. They're building for acquisition. They're not planning on IPO, which is a very different nature than the Web yeah. 1.0. I, I agree with that. Um, I get this question all the time about my own business, Federated Media, you know, right. um, and I, you know, frankly would never say I'm not going to do anything because right. that's crazy for anyone running a business to say. But, you know, I, I 
I certainly don't have an IPO in mind right now. Um, do I have an acquisition in mind? Well, you know, no. But if someone wants to put it there, I'm not going to push it out, right? Sure. And I'm, I'm, uh, obviously, when you build a business and you take investment, as we have from Omidyar and the New York Times and, and J.P. Morgan, they, they want to know what you're going to do with, with the company. Um, my business is to try to make authors happy and give them money. You know, and if I can do do that a lot, then I'll do well. And if I do well, and someone wants to buy it for a reasonable amount of money, I'll be very pleased. As would I hope everyone else who's involved with the business. But I think, and entrepreneurs, I'm sure have told you this many times: if you build a business to try to sell it, you're looking at the wrong thing. You you need to focus on you know what you really want to do. And what I love about my business is that I'm building this business because I have to, like because I just. I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I had to build it because I wanted it to happen because I had my own blog, Search Blog, which was starting to get a lot of traffic, and I managed another one called Boing Boing, and both of them were getting so big, they needed something like FM. And so I built it out of a need and a desire that I have, which I think is always a good place to start as opposed to I see a market opportunity, I'm going to build a company, and I'm going to flip it. That mercenary approach um, is sort of passionless, um, and, and, and so it's not as much fun while you're in it. <laughs> And I'm having and a great time. The culture, the empathic culture of your company rings clear as a bell, I have to say, to the market. Oh, I'm so ha- I'm happy You to definitely that. get a feel that, uh, that you are creating the business that you wanted for yourself and that you are very much a proponent of these writers. I mean, you've, you started out as an editor. I mean, pull away everything that you've ever done. You're just a fantastic writer. Oh, and, thank uh, you. you know, you, you believe in that. That is a life mission for you. You've got a great book. Your blogs are awesome. Analysis is incredible. And I think uh, you have leveraged your intelligence, your contacts, and your vision to pave the way to help other great writers, you know, get some, get some juice out of the industry. I, I, so, I, wonderful. I certainly you. thank you very much. And, I, I you know, you, you've obviously, uh, uh, at, least, at least there's one person out there who understands what I'm trying to do. <laughs> That's great. Well, I know everyone does. So, John, our time is up, but I really appreciate you coming on. And why don't you come back sometime? We'll talk about social search and China and all kinds of wonderful Sounds things. Sounds great. I'd love to. Good luck with your Web, tw- Web 2.0 show. I know you sold out last year. I'm sure you're soon to be if you're not already sold out this year. So if anybody wants to come, what's the URL? Um, it's just web2ocon.com, web2ocon.com. So, like, con for conference. Conference, yeah. Got it. You should put Fantastic. another F on there, don't you think? Because maybe people think it's a con. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfectly fine. Everyone's very uh, supportive of uh, weird domain names because they're so impossible to get these days. So. Yeah, now you just put it into Google. Put it in Web 2.0 to Google and you'll find us. <laughs> you'll find us. Fantastic. And uh, if we can't get enough of you, we can read you in the uh, Business 2.0 monthly column. You write t- Titans of Technology. Come to Search Blog for search-specific daily site coverage, and uh, Battelle Media, of course, as well as reading all of your associated uh, blogs, Boing Boing Dig, GigaOM, TechCrunch, TechDirt, etc. Etc. Thank you very much. John, thanks for giving us the time today, and this is Susan Bratton. We'll be back in just a minute uh, to talk to Roy D'Souza, the CEO and co-founder of Zito, about Web 2.0. Stay tuned. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. Google AdSense. How do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. 
It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. Google.com slash AdSense. It's all about links. Baby, content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. For the last decade, millions of visitors seeking top ranking have visited their site. When it comes to the internet marketing expertise, one name clearly stands above the rest. Bruce Clay Incorporated. With a flexible, time-tested, and spam-free process to SEO and PPC, Bruce Clay has become the number one choice for companies of all kinds seeking to improve their search engine ranking, utilize their latest tools, training, consulting, and services. Let Bruce Clay create a tailored solution to meet your internet marketing needs today. Bruce Clay Incorporated. I am jealous of Katie Kempner. If you're listening to her show, she's got this fabulous kind of hip-hop intro. There are no good songs about Susan. I love Shrek. I'm an ogre. Well, see, you're my kind of guy. You're technical, you're super smart, and you're tall and handsome. We need a little time, you know, to be together. Fantastic. Now, you're too hot not to be married. Some woman snatched you up already, is that right? Fiona and I are married now. And you sound like a Texan. Are you a native Texan? I'm an ogre. All right, will you play a little game with me? Oh, you mean like sorting the mail and watering the plants? You don't have to kiss my butt or anything, don't worry. Ad Tech Connect. Thursdays, following the daily search cast. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Join the club, we've got jackets. Now, back to AdTech Connect, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back to AdTech Connect. This is your host, Susan Bratton, and I have with me Roy D'Souza, the CEO and co-founder of ZDO, Z-E-D-O, D as in David. And uh, welcome, Roy. Uh, thanks, Susan. So, um, Web 2.0, Zito. Uh, not only does it rhyme, but there's a lot in common. You have an ad-serving company, and you work with just a ton of Web 2.0 companies. Is, is that by accident? Is that a business strategy? Tell us about Zito as we start. Well, as you said, we're an ad-serving company, and uh, many of the Web 2.0 companies or old Web 2.0 companies are, are ad-supported. Ad and we've been based in Silicon Valley here for quite a long time, actually in San Francisco. So we've had a lot of exposure to them, and our business has sort of developed along with these Web 2.0 companies. And as their needs have developed, so, you know, we've built software for them. So I think that's the history of why we focus on this sector. And so now it is definitely a strategy. You've really become a Web 2.0 expert from the inside out. That's right. We see so many of these Web 2.0 companies. Sometimes they ask us for ad serving. Very often they just would like help with understanding the ad market and how to make revenue and where the revenue is. So we go through their business and understand it, and we see so many of them that we learn a lot. 
one of the things that I like when I come to visit you is that um, you have a whole list of clients up on your whiteboard in your sales war room. And uh, half the time, there are like 20 or 30 companies I've never even heard of. What, are you a Web 2.0 company magnet, or do you ha- is your sales team just unbelievably good at ferreting these new startups out? You know, I think the, the interesting thing about these new startups at the moment is they're mostly started not by MBA grads from, you know, the class of 2005, but they're started by the people who used to do it before. So um, people have done it before, people who started the company in the dot-com boom, and those sort of people sort of you know through your network. So yeah. you know through friends and friends, you've worked with them before, or they know who you are, you've met them at some of the networking events, you know their old companies, and that's how we tend to get to know them. So it's word on the street, it's cocktail lounge, it's hearing things, this buddy went there, this buddy went there. Right. And they Many come ways, to you. Web, web 2.0 companies about people networking with each other, talking to each other about stuff, talking to groups of friends. And in a very similar way, our group of friends and our associates here are the people who started these Web 2.0 companies. So let's define your version of Web 2.0. What does that mean in your world? Um, in the w- in my world, it's very simple. We initially saw the web about, as being about um, eyeballs. People would, someone would create a site and people would stare at the site. That's the way it was looked at in 1999. I see the web as very differently today. And the Web 2.0 companies seem to be mostly, people don't look at websites. They don't just read websites. They mostly, rather than look, they type. So I think the sort of Web 2.0 companies where people are furiously typing away, doing stuff, exchanging messages, and primarily messages with their friends and talking to their friends. And that's what I see, see as the Web 2.0. You use the Internet more as a communications tool between people rather than websites that you watch from afar. So in a way, Web 1.0 is email. Web 2.0 is uh, social media and interaction. Yeah, interaction definitely between people, between friends especially, and um, you know, on a very continual basis. And not just reading sites, not just going to websites and reading it and learning about it, but actually fully interacting with your friends. And one of the things, too, that I've noticed, especially because you're in the ad-serving business, um, I know that one of the reasons that companies are attracted to Zito is that you have an architecture that kind of, I think you built for massive scaling. And that's definitely one of the traits of a Web 2.0 company is that they can get, they can, they can have a hockey stick, truly have a hockey stick of traffic. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the web, you know, the, in the Internet world and these products, it's very difficult to be a medium-sized player. You're either small because consumers don't use it, or you're big because consumers use it and lots of consumers use it. And when I started Zito in, you know, late 99, I just, you know, graduated from business school a few months earlier and wanted to become the biggest. So we built a system that could really scale. It's very clever in the way it's architected, very distributed, and we can do huge volumes. And that's a, you know, great synergy with the Web 2.0 companies who for the first time are able to build companies with huge volumes, you know, huge page view volumes very fast. When you first launched Zito, the first thing I remember back in 99 was that you had this concept for ads where you could say the kinds of ads you wanted. Like, I only serve me ads for women and luxury automobiles and um, pharmaceuticals or whatever. <laughs> I'm a right. big druggie. Um, so how, what, why did you abandon that? Why do you think it didn't take off? And do you think there's a future for personalized ads? Right. Very interesting, very interesting topic. Obviously, one close to my heart. But I, I always believe that a lot of advertising, you're trying to guess what the user's interested in. And especially on TV, you say, well, they're watching Friends, so they may be interested in this kind of commercial. What we thought with the Internet is, considering it's a two-way medium, if, they, if the user would tell us, give us some indication of what they're interested in, uh, we would give them ads that are really interesting to them. And if the ads are really interesting, they're no longer ads. They're almost like information. Yep. So that's what we call self-targeting. Um, the users would choose a keyword or a category, um, for example, when they logged into email. And that would last for 60, 30 days. 
and then they would choose another one. And technically worked very well. And consumers chose, you know, things we should, we should probably have expected, like DVDs and music, you know, categories that they, they found fun. Very few chose finance. However, the people who chose finance were probably quite valuable because they probably really were interested in finance. Um, so that was a concept. It, it worked well technically. It didn't take off primarily because we were doing it for banner ads. And although it improved, improved click-to-rate rate by about five times, they were not able, the, the customers were not able to sell the inventory. So one of Lycos's companies was the first major customer, and they had a sales team in New York, and they felt that they couldn't sell if we fragmented their inventory into hundreds of little pieces, because each consumer had chosen different type of ads to see, they had to fill up all those different um, you know, buckets with ads. And that was very, very difficult in 2001. And yeah, well, there just weren't enough advertisers at the time. There weren't enough advertisers. They said they could close one or two deals a month, but we were, needed them to close you know, tens of deals, you know, not 100 deals a month, to fill up all the different categories. So was it just an idea be- before it's time, because really now th- everything is micro-fragmentation in advertising? I think it, it may well be. I mean, we, we, I'm sure we'll launch it again at some point. And now we have the same problem with these high-volume websites. A lot of these Web 2.0 websites don't know what ads to show because they get very low CPMs. They get you know, 10, 20, 30 cent CPMs because they don't know what the users are interested in. So it, it could well work today. One of the advantages today is there are lots and lots of ads. There's no shortage of ads, so we can fill up all the categories. Mm-hmm. We'll probably have to tweak the UI to make it look a little bit more exciting, yep. more modern, but it's something we may well launch soon. Interesting. So now I want to jump back to a couple things that you said and explore them a little further. The first one was the fact that a lot of your customers are hockey stick growth companies. How long does I know you're you're an Alexaholic as we call them, and there's actually right. I learned from you a site called Alexaholic where you can compare and contrast different site traffic. Um, how long does it typically take for a, a web company, you know, maybe like High Five, they're one of your, your social search, I mean, one of your social media companies that are a client. How long does it take those companies to hockey stick? Is it, is it days, weeks, months, or years? Well, what seemed to happen with a company like High Five and, you know, others we've seen in the space, they tend to take about a year building um, a, a website. And they, you know, play with it, change it, build it, to, you know, move it around. And then I think suddenly they catch the consumer, um, consumer interest, and then it starts to take off. So it seems to be a period of a flat period for about a year, maybe a year and a half, which is longer than most people expect. And then it takes off. And once it starts taking off, it, you know, they get very big. They get into an Alexa top 100 company in a year, year and a half. How big is the successful. traffic on an Alexa top 100 company? What kind of traffic do you have to have to get there? Um, I would say a good number is you're doing, you know, at least a billion impressions, billion ad impressions a month. A Probably billion. several billion, but at least a billion ad impressions per month. Okay. I know in terms and of ad impressions, because that's what we cover mostly, but that's probably about the same number of page views, maybe less page views. Sure, that's your filter. I, we understand that, of course. Now, um, going back also, when we talked about the 1.0 being eyeballs and the 2.0 being exchanging messages with friends, when, when friends are connecting with each other online, what do you see as some of the best opportunities for marketers, for advertisers, in leveraging that 2.0 manifestation? I think the, the best um, opportunities for advertisers are most of these sites about networks, people talking to their friends, as we talked about. And if we take a mass market one like MySpace or a more niche site like LinkedIn, the niche sites are most valuable for the advertisers. Because on LinkedIn, people are asking their friends to help them with work. They're asking their friends to help them with hiring 
or asking their friends to help them with getting a contact at a new company. And it's a much more defined set of users. And so those sort of companies are, are more effective. For example, Yelp is another one that seems to be doing very well. And there you ask friends, or not really that close friends, but clearly you know, online friends, let's call them, to help you with where, which restaurants and bars to go to. People trust those a lot more than they trust City Search, for example, where the reviewer is somewhat random. And marketers, I think, are best focused on those sort of more niche sites because it's very clear what the users are interested in. On Yelp, they're interested in eating out and drinking, you know, going to bars and restaurants. On LinkedIn, they're interested in jobs and sales. And I think that's probably the best focus for, for the marketers. And, and so what are some of the other Web 2.0 sites that you think are really well executed beyond Yelp and some of the others? Right. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the game sites, I think, are very interesting, like Xfire, for example. Yeah, X-Fire they're one of your clients, right? They're one of our customers, yeah. And um, they've, they've focused on building an application. Um, it's not, so it's not a website as such, it's an application where as you're playing a game, you can talk to your friends and you can see which games your friends are playing. And for that market, it's very popular. So I and think that's very clever. What, what other ones? I was thinking also um, Pandora. Isn't that one of the clients that, did you just get Pandora as a client or are you yes. working on them? Yes, Pandora is a, is a customer of ours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Pandora is, is very interesting. It's, it's not quite so much in the sort of network space where people are talking to each other. What they do is they have people who are categorizing music, and then you choose a song that's very interesting to you, that you, you know, a song that you like very much, and they can automatically suggest other songs which people have categorized as similar to yours. Well, and, and that is what John Battelle, who was on just before you, was talking about, that some of the hallmarks of Web 2.0 are participation, and collective intelligence. And Pandora is definitely a representation of collective intelligence. Right. It seems like very much, very much about collective intelligence. Most of, their, most of their intelligence comes from a small group of people at the moment. I think they could probably expand their model so that anyone can help categorize songs. Mm-hmm. I think at the moment it's, it's probably a defined group of people that they, they have chosen, but I think they, they could well expand it so anyone could help categorize the songs and choose. You know, they, there's so many people out there, and they know so much they can contribute to making the system better and better. And what are some of the things that you, this is a personal question, what are some of your favorite kinds of music that you're listening to right now? Favorite kinds of music that I'm listening to? Yeah, I ask that a lot on my show. Oh, you do? Okay, Uh well, I've been um, listening to James Blunt recently. Um, You know, he was quite popular. Um, Who else? Craig, uh, David Gray. I went to see David Gray in in Oakland a couple of months ago. Yeah, how was he? Was he good? You know, um, I like the music, but he played it exactly the same way he plays it on the CD. No surprise. And you almost forgot that you were in a live performance. And he's, his famous song is uh, Babylon, right? Babylon is his most famous, yeah. Yeah. And James Blunt, is it B-L-U-N-T? I've never heard of him. I think it's B-L-O-U-N-T. Blunt, uh-huh. And what yeah. kind of music is that? Um, let's see, I'm not very good at describing it, but um, I'll have to look at Pandora. But it's, uh, <laughs> you have to give me the genre from Pandora, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> he, he plays guitar a, and he sings. So he plays guitar sure. and he sings. Okay. So yeah. maybe adult alternative or something. Possibly, yeah. I'm Possibly. not sure, to be honest. Fantastic. Any other uh, sites, whether they're your customers or not, that you think are like t- really pushing the edge on Web 2.0 right now, that you think are just like, wow, beautifully integrated, great concept, mascot for Web 2.0? Um. I think some of these uh, social bookmarking sites in the shopping space, like Wists and StyleHive, have got a very interesting concept of sharing information about, about, um, about stuff to buy. How do you We're say WISC? Is it spelled W-I-S-T-S. For? Say it again. W-I-S-T-S. Okay, so like William. Wisk, the card Indian. game with an S at the end. Got it. Okay. 
And what, what is great about that and what's great about Style High? What they, makes you say that? Yeah, Style High, they, they both focus on the same area where um, you, if you're out, people, are, people are out shopping um, when they're trying to buy stuff, do a lot of research. But in the physical world, they like to ask their friends about stuff to buy. In the online world, that's more difficult. And they've provided a service where you can bookmark different sites with different products for sale. So you can then more easily ask your friends and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And it's difficult sometimes if you, you know, if I want to ask my brother what he thinks about this digital camera, I say, look, I saw a digital camera on this page. You know, I can email him the link. It's a little tricky. But if I can bookmark it and he can look at what I've bookmarked, then he can go and say, no, I don't like that digital camera for this reason. He can look at all the specs and he knows more about them than I do, and he can help me decide. So those are quite interesting. We're actually going to be launching a new product. Zito is going to be launching a new website, a consumer website, which is in a similar sort of space, and that will launch at the end of August. And is that uh, – so what WIST is is social shopping, right? Social shopping, I think they call it, yeah. Okay. And so that's what you're working on? It's something similar. It's, it's in the e-commerce space, and it's, it's, it's something similar. Hopefully much more exciting. Really? It'll, more exciting. It'll launch in the end of August, and um, we should hear a lot about it around then. One of the things that, I, that triggered me is that we've just entered into a conversation around Web 2.0 for e-commerce. And uh, when Mark Kwame um, from Sequoia Capital was keynoting the AdTech San Francisco show, one of his biggest um, claims was that the revenue created on the web is grossly underrepresented and that he thinks it's going to be, I don't know, what was it, 10x what people are projecting because the commerce world is going to come on fire over the next three to five years. What, did you hear him and did, did you, what did you think about that? You know, I didn't hear that speech um, at, at AdTech, but um, I think the commerce, commerce is definitely going to go more and more to the web because mm-hmm. I think we're just getting a new, new, the new people who come out of university, they, don't, they continually shop online and mm-hmm. they find the idea of going to a store to buy stuff somewhat odd. You know, you go to a store to look at stuff maybe, you go to the mall to meet your friends, go to Starbucks, have a walk around, but why would you carry stuff home? Why would you buy it at a higher price when you know it's cheaper online? Mm-hmm. So they have a hybrid model where the revenue is online, the money is spent online, and the shopping mall is more for entertainment purposes. And as that generation grows older and, and that, that, you know, they're the early movers and that sort of behavior spreads, um, the, you know, sh- shopping on the web is going to be bigger than ever. Because you're always going to get better deals. It's always easier. Yes, you pay for shipping, but you don't have to carry it home. And there's just much more available on the web. And what are some of the things you've recently bought online? Um, let's see. Um, just bought a digital camera for a friend of mine who's visiting from London. Nice. And uh, he found the prices here were much lower, so just bought it. He was, um, that was about last week. Um, I buy books quite often. Yeah. Um, I've been planning to buy contact lenses because I, I see they're about a quarter of the price online. But somehow or the other, I've never managed to get my, you know, my eye, eye prescription and fax it to them. Right. <laughs> so um, that's <laughs> That's because you're always in some other country. You spend a lot of time in India where part of your business is outsourced. Your engineering team is in India. Is that right? That's right. We have an office in India and we have a big uh, development center there. Not really outsourced. You- it's more our, our own company, but um, all based out there. And you came to China last year and you spoke at AdTech in China. That's right. And what was your impression of, of China when you, when you spent some time there? Well, I think, um, you know, the, the, there's two very big things happening in our generation. One is the Internet, clearly. It's just changing the way everything is being done. But the other really big thing is China and India. And I don't think, you know, the world has seen countries that are going to grow that fast and change their position in the world so quickly. And China has a lot of energy. You know, the, the way they've rebuilt Pudong, for example, they've almost knocked down an entire 
you know, part of an old city and rebuilt these huge skyscrapers. Um, it's incredible what can be done so quickly. And India is the same way. I find when I come back from India, you know, you feel a little, you know, everything's going a little quietly here. You're missing out on the action for the first week or so because the pace of, pace of life is so fast in India these days. How so, is it faster than it is here? I can't even imagine accelerating the pace of life from the Silicon Valley. Well, um, there's so many more people around and moving around. And there's so many more people all the time who want to talk to you. And, you know, if you want, if you want stuff done, say you want to buy a whiteboard, a very good example there, we wanted to buy a whiteboard. The guys come to the office and they bring the whiteboards and they hold them up against the wall and give you a pen and let you test them out. Nice. And if you say, yes, you want it, they take out an you know, electric screwdriver and they, you know, they, they you know, hang it on the wall right there and then. <laughs> While here you have to go, you have to order it, someone's going to deliver it, you know, you have to find someone else to hang it, and it's a sort of slow process because they have so much, so much manpower. And India is incredibly competitive. Capitalism is, is actually turning out to be very interesting there. And in the last two, three years, things have started accelerating dramatically because the suppliers know that if you, if, you want, if you want to win business, you've got to do it better than anyone else. And they're just getting better and better. So the service economy is well integrated into the commerce business. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they have the manpower for the service industry. If you, if you were going to have, if you're a CEO of a Web 2.0 company and you have only so many resources, as we all do, would you recommend that uh, the next market be India, China, or someplace else, maybe Latin America? Um, I think India or China are definitely the two to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally prefer India. I am from India, so I might be biased, and I know India better. <laughs> but I prefer India because the way and style of doing business is, is is fast, it's effective, the contracts are understandable, there are plenty of contract law, and generally in India people seem to stick to their obligations. You know, very, very rarely do you hear about, in, you know, someone completely cheating on the contract and some local party boss taking over your company, while in China that's a real risk which happens to many companies. Mm-hmm. So I find that India is smaller, but it's growing probably faster in the internet world, and it's, it's, it's very intuitive, it's very pro-American, it's very, you know, westernized, easy to do business in, and we know India well here because we have so many people from India who come here, and the cultures are so much more similar. And is there anything that's happening in the, digi- in the digital marketing space in India that's very different than it's done in the U.S. that would be something we might try here? I haven't seen anything very different at the moment. They do tend to experiment a little bit because sometimes they're a little bit more blasé about these things and say, oh, we'll just try that. But I haven't yet seen it in digital advertising. Okay. We see lots and lots of lead generation ads in India. The lead generation ads are, not most, are mostly not for mortgages, but mostly for, you know, for example, loans for a new motorbike or loans mm-hmm. for a new car, mm-hmm. smaller purchases. But so far, it's similar to what we're doing here. Well, I'd like to finish off our conversation today by getting your idea of what Web 3.0 might be and how you see the world evolving. Well, I think, um, you know, in Web 3.0, we might find that um, people, consumers will still spend most of their time talking to consumers. And I think the, the mode of talking will just expand. It will expand from a keyboard and a, and a screen to wireless and voice and other ways, you know, of, of keeping in touch where it will all be fully integrated. Always on, everywhere. I think so. And, and using little screens, and, but the same applications and the same, the same features on little screens and big screens all over the place. Well, I'll announce it here first. Um, uh, one of our keynotes for AdTech New York is going to be Emily Green. She's the CEO of the Yankee Group. Uh, she also used to run Forrester, and she's going to be speaking on the Anywhere Consumer and what opportunities that creates for the marketer. And that ties into exactly what you were talking about in your vision of Web 3.0. Oh, that's very exciting. I must make sure I listen to that. Speech. Yeah, you'll have to show up for one of the keynotes now. Yes. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Roy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you luck with your stealth mode launch. Um, When can we expect to see what you're doing with e-commerce and Web 2.0? In the end of August, we plan to launch. Not, Not firmed exactly, but end of August should be the launch date. All right, so we should look for something new from Zito in the fall. That's a consumer play. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much for sharing all of your global uh, global ideas and uh, all of your Web 2.0 conversation. It's been great to have you on the show. Okay. Thanks very much, Susan. Thank you. This is Susan Bratton. I look forward to talking to you next week. We have a marketing mashup. I'll uh, look forward to that connection then, and have a great day. 